Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Fantastic. Well, whenever Pastor Joel said he was going to do a video, kind of an intro video for me, I said, well, we just need to negotiate on that a little bit. So I said, we, we just need it to be really sharp. You need to just, you know, boost me up, just really pump me up big. So he said, that's fine, but he said, it's going to cost you. So we negotiated the price. And so what you saw there is whatever that price came to. So I, I just really appreciate it. He's a great, 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 great man of God, and I just am so thankful that uh, our church has him as our lead shepherd. Um, how many of you would rather be here than in the hospital? Raise your hand. All right. So we've got about um, 75% that would like to be here. There's about 25% of you that would rather be in the hospital. So um, I'm hoping that by the end of this message that it'll be 100% of you want to be here and <laughs> not in the hospital. So uh, what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about something that is very special to my heart. So whenever Pastor Joel said, hey, I'd like for you to share today, I just got really pumped and excited because... Uh, some of the stuff that just I wanted to impart to you. I want us to talk about how we can live and how we should live the natural, supernatural life. I believe with all of my heart that God wants us to live supernaturally, but I think he wants us to live the supernatural life in such a way that it's just natural to us. It's not something that is uncommon. It's not something that's out of the ordinary. It's not something that's kind of kooky, strange, weird, but it's just something that is natural. And I'm going to share a, a lot of things with you in regards to this, but it focuses on the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, before I get into all of the stuff that I want to talk about, I just need to give you a little bit of background of me. I grew up in a home where my father was a Southern Baptist preacher. Now, how many of you have been a part or know someone that has been in a Baptist church? Would you just raise your hand? All right. So when it comes to the things of the Spirit, when it comes to Holy Spirit stuff, Baptists typically struggle with that a bit. And so my upbringing, it was in West Texas. My father was a, a pastor in a number of churches in West Texas in my upbringing, and then he ended up uh, actually morphing into denominational work. He was one of the vice presidents for the Home Mission Board for Southern Baptists, and then he became the executive director, which means the top guy in California for all the Southern Baptist churches in the state of California. So... When it comes to me having an orientation of things of the Spirit, that was not my background typically. Now, I will say that my father was open 
to the things of God, and he loved revival, he loved awakening, and he was open to the things of the Spirit. But the context of the Baptist world, because I was educated in a Baptist university in Oklahoma, I went to Southwestern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary, and I can promise you at Southwestern, they do not have a course on how to walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they just don't have it. And so, what happened is that God seemed to do some things in my life which were unusual for the context of my life. And I want to share some of those things up front because I, I want you to understand that what I'm telling you should be something that all of us say, Lord, just let that be a part of my experience. Let that be a part of my testimony as well. How many of you have heard about this unusual spiritual awakening that is or has just taken place over in Asbury Methodist College Seminary. A lot of you heard about that. All right. So for those that may not have gotten the memo on that, there is, uh, it's, a, it's a Methodist college. It's a place where Methodist pastors go to get educated and credentialed for Methodist churches. And it's over in Kentucky, and back in February of this year, in a chapel service, the Lord showed up. Spirit of God showed up. Uh, it just completely, in a good way, wiped out the agenda. They shut down classes, and for uh, about, I don't know how many days, there was a number of days where people just started being overwhelmed with the presence of God. That's all they did was stay in the presence of God uh, in this chapel to the point that word spread around the world and at last count over 50,000 people had traveled to this little 6,000 numbered town, person town, because they wanted to be in the presence of God. I would say that's unusual. So what the president said, and I listened to him whenever he was asked, because he at, at a certain point he had to shut it down, and he said, look, our little town just can't take thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming. And he said, we, we basically had to shut down or, or, or cut off people that were coming that were not students. He said, this is something that God's doing in the college world. And he said, all of our students are being impacted. Other college students from other universities were coming. So they basically were trying to keep everybody else out so that the Lord could minister to the next generation. And it just got a little messy, so they, they had to shut it down. But what a lot of people are not aware of is that what happened at this college happened uh, back in 1970. So this is the second iteration of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I was touched by that first move, and I'll kind of tell you the story, because after this took place in 1970, where the Lord just showed up, and it just changed everything, and people were coming back to him, people were coming to know Christ, I mean, all kinds of phenomenal stuff was happening. Again, the president of the college at the time, he had to shut things down, but the students the next month, in the month of March, they made the decision that they would go to different colleges, seminaries, churches, and start telling the story of what happened. 
So now we're into March of 1970. There was a student that went to Southwestern Seminary over here in Fort Worth. His name is David Perry, and he was asked to come and share. So he went and shared on a Friday at a chapel service, and sure enough, after he shared, the Lord showed up. Again, Southern Baptist Seminary. So all of a sudden, the presence and the power of God showed up, and it started a revival on campus at Southwestern. Friday, when all this starts happening, one of the professors calls my father. My dad was pastoring up in Oklahoma, uh, in Ada, Oklahoma. Anybody know where Ada, Oklahoma is? All right, little town, it's college town up in Oklahoma. And my dad was pastoring the First Baptist Church of Ada. It was a big church. And he said, hey, we've got this student from Asbury College. Everything just opened up. Heavens opened up. God began to move. And the students, would you like for him to come and share at your church on Sunday night? So my dad said, sure. So he tells everybody on Sunday morning, hey, we've got this guy coming. I don't know what's going to happen, so let's all show up. So the place was packed Sunday night. It's 6 o'clock. Uh, David gets up, and he starts to talk about what happened at the college. And then every 5, 10 minutes, he would just stop and look at everyone and say, Jesus is Lord. And then we'd talk a little bit more, and then he would say, Jesus is Lord. It's almost like, are you not getting this? Jesus is Lord. And then after about 20, 25 minutes, he said, well, I've got to go catch a plane. Um, and then he said goodbye, and he, he went off the stage. So my dad gets up, and he says, well, I don't know what we're supposed to do now, so why don't we just kind of bow our heads and just wait and see what God wants to do? So that's what happened. We were all there. We had our heads bowed. It was kind of a hush across the congregation. And I was sitting, I was in eighth grade. I was sitting by my best friend. His name's Scott. And Scott pokes me on the shoulder and he said, Ron, will you go down to the front and kneel with me? And I said, why? Why do you want me to do that? And he goes, because, he said, I just really feel like I'm supposed to go down to the front and kneel. And I said, well, can't you do it right here? I mean, why do you have to go down there? He said, because, he said, it's what I feel like God's telling me to do, but I don't want to go by myself. So would you go with me? And trust me. I did not want to go with him, but I did. So me and Scott, everybody's in this hushed state. He and I get up and we go down and we kneel at the front. And the moment we kneel, he starts breaking down and crying. Now I'm feeling very insecure and uncomfortable because, you know, we're by ourselves, we're in front of everybody and he's bawling his eyes out, and I'm, I'm just like, you know, what have I gotten myself into? 
So I'm just sitting there while he's crying, and all of a sudden I hear all kinds of noises around me, and I look up, and I realize that the entire front is full of people. I mean, literally, it's packed with people that had come down and surrounded us and were on their face before God, and they were praying and crying out to God. And I thought, wow, this has never happened before. I've never seen this before. And as I'm looking at this, and this stuff is happening around me, I hear something. And I, I, I sit up, and I look to the back, and I see a college student, a young man, who stands up, and he's, he's forcing himself through the crowd to get to the, the middle aisle, and he screams at the top of his lungs the name of an elderly gentleman who's on the other side of the room. He, he, he yells at this guy, and he says, will you forgive me? And this guy, this older man, screams back to him, and he said, yes. And the two of them come, and they embrace in the middle of the church, and they're sobbing on each other's shoulders. And the moment they did that, something broke in the room. People started coming up and asking my father if they could take the microphone, and they started to share sin. They started to publicly confess sin in front of the whole church. And I'm not talking about one or two people. I'm talking, this went on for several hours. And nobody was leaving. Church started at 6 o'clock, about 9 o'clock. People then started leaving the building, not to go home, but to go find people in the community that they felt needed to experience this. And so they were taking their cars, and they were going to people's houses, and they were knocking on their door and saying, you've got to get in the car and go with me to the building. I know that because some of my friends did that. And when people would walk into the building, they were overcome with the presence of God, and they would begin to weep and cry. If they didn't know Jesus, they would accept Christ. It was something that was blowing every circuit in my mind. And this went on till about midnight, and then my dad told the church, he said, look, we've got little kids, we've got school. He said, we're gonna have to stop tonight, but he said, why don't we come back tomorrow night and let's just see what God wants to do. So everybody came back the next night, everybody came back the next night, everybody came back the next night, and then pretty soon, he said, we, had, we couldn't hold the people because other people from other churches were coming. So he says, why don't we rent the auditorium at the junior high, and so they did. And then we filled that up. Then pastors started calling, saying, I don't know what happened over there, but whatever happened there is now happening at my church. And so it started manifesting, not just in conservative churches or charismatic churches, we're talking Presbyterian churches, Methodist churches. It was like this spirit of revival and awakening began to reverberate through that entire county. Upward, we even heard of churches 20 miles away that this spontaneously began to happen. 
it was the most incredible thing that I had ever been a part of because now I had stepped into this supernatural world that I didn't understand. Now, I was in the eighth grade, and let's move a few years. I'm now all the way through college, and I'm into seminary. I am going to Southwestern, studying to be a pastor. Uh, it's Christmas time, and back then, of course, we didn't have, you know, cell phones and internet and all that kind of stuff. And so I didn't have a lot of contact with my parents. They lived in Atlanta at the time. And so my dad gets a hold of me and he says, make sure that you're home for Christmas. He said, because mom's not doing well and you just need to be home. So I have three older brothers. I am the fourth of, of the four. And so we all came home because he had the same speech with all of them. So when I got home, my mom was in a wheelchair, which I, I mean, that, it just shocked me. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that my mom was that sick. And my dad said she's been diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis. And he said, uh, she's not doing well. She's declining rapidly. She can't walk. She doesn't have use of her arms anymore. And he said, um, I don't think she's gonna be with us very much longer. And he said, but, he said, I was praying the other day, and he said, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, if you, I, I want you to get the boys home, and he said, and I want you to pray for mom, and he says, and if you'll do that, he said, I'll raise her up. Now, you gotta understand, I mean, my dad was open, but still, Southern Baptist, preacher, you know what I mean? This, this isn't our world. I mean, Pastor Joel, you, you know, Pastor Joel grew up charismatic, Pentecostal. He was surrounded by that uh, as a young man all through his life. That was not the case with me. So here we are. My mom's in the wheelchair. My dad gets some oil. I think it was cooking oil. It wasn't the fancy anointing oil that you get from Israel. I mean, it was just whatever, canola. <laughs> I don't know what it was. But she's in the wheelchair and my dad anoints her with oil and all of us have our hands on her and we start praying that God would heal her. Within three days, my mom had full use of her legs and her arms. I mean, literally, in the two weeks that I was there, I started to see the restoration and the power of God on her. Within the two weeks that I was home for Christmas, we literally took back the wheelchair to the rental place. Within six months, my mom was fully restored and healed. Now, let me go a few more years. The Lord was so gracious and let me marry my best friend, Jalen, and she was a really, really close friend all the way through college. In fact, um, I dated her roommate at the time. And, uh, but she was my counselor, my friend. I mean, we just had an incredible relationship and then the Lord finally brought us together and we married. But after we married, Jalen started manifesting some really hard stuff. She started uh, dealing with, uh, she had tremendous fear. Uh, she dealt with a lot of rejection things. And um, 
basically what happened was it took her to a place where she wanted to kill herself. And, of course, this was all out of my world of understanding, but this is where she was, and we went to several counselors to try to figure out what in the world's going on. And we're, we're newly married, and just no help. Nothing was happening. And one morning, she was spending time with the Lord in her quiet time, and she was reading the story of the gathering demoniac. And the Lord spoke to her and said, this is what you're dealing with, is that you're dealing with a demonic oppression that you need to be set free from. Well, I mean, again, little Southern Baptist girl, uh, you know, you, you've got a demonic problem. I mean, what's that mean? No orientation at all as to how to handle that. And then a magazine started coming to our door. And to this day, I promise you, I don't know who sent it to us. I don't know where it came from. But there was a magazine called Fullness Magazine, which was a magazine that was written and published by Southern Baptists who'd been filled with the Spirit and who wanted to share their testimonies and give theology to the things of the Spirit. Well, this particular magazine was on spiritual warfare. And my wife is reading this article about demonization and spiritual warfare, and it confirmed in her heart that, yes, this is the problem that you're dealing with. The guy who wrote the article, his name is Jim Hilton. Jim Hilton was the pastor of a Baptist church over in Fort Worth, and as she's sitting there reading this article, she prays, and then she pulls me in to pray that somehow we could meet Jim Hilton and see if possibly he could help. Well, we didn't know him. We didn't know how to get in touch with him. We didn't know anything, so we just started praying. So we are now moving on into ministry. I'm going to go, we, Jalen and I, are going to plant a church up in Vancouver, British Columbia. So we're waiting for our visas to go to Canada and that's a whole story in and of itself because uh, they were delayed by the government up there. Uh, so we're, we're in a waiting room. We're staying with her parents up in Ponca City, Oklahoma, which is about two hours or so from Tulsa. And my dad was pastoring over in Tulsa at the time. So we're up there just waiting for our visas. And I get a phone call from my dad and he says, you've got to come over here. He said, we brought in a guy for a three-day meeting, kind of like a revival thing, and we are now in week three. Now we're into it for three weeks. And it ended up lasting six weeks. So we're in the third week, and he said, you, I just want you to come and hear this guy. I just want you to come and be a part. So we did. We, we took the journey over there. We went over there. Service was incredible. Uh, I mean, it lasted long. It was a long service, but God was doing some phenomenal stuff. The speaker was Jim Hilton. So he decided, my dad says, hey, I want Jim to come over to the house at night, and I want y'all to meet him. And so we're sitting there. Our minds are like, ooh. So here we, you know, we're sitting across the table from, from Jim, 
And they're talking about what's happened that day. They went through deliverance with some guy for I don't know how many hours. I mean, they're, they're going through these stories. And I'm sitting there with my wife, and I lean over to her, and I say, sweetie, do you want to talk to Jim? And a voice spoke back to me, which was not my wife's voice. And this voice spoke and said, no. And I thought, whoops, <laughs> we've got a problem here. So I put my arm around my wife, and I look at Jim, and I say, now, now this, this, it's midnight. I mean, the poor guy, he's been preaching, ministering all day long. And I put, I put my arm around her, and I said, Jim, I said, I think Jalen really needs some ministry. Would you please pray for her? So he takes my wife and my father. They go back to my dad's office, and they begin ministering to my wife. And over the course of the next hour, hour and a half, they delivered her from seven demonic spirits. All of them had a very specific name, had specific assignments. They knew exactly when they came in, the whole nine yards. One of the things that caused my wife, I mean, that one of the symptoms of this demonic problem is that she would never finish eating her food. And so it didn't matter if you gave her like even a little tiny sandwich, like a, a half of a sandwich, she would not finish eating it. And I don't, it was real frustrating to me because she just wouldn't eat as much as she should eat. And so when they came out of the office, my wife comes, she looks different, first of all, and she looks at me and she goes, I'm starving, can you get me some food? Yeah. We can do that. So we went and got her a roast beef sandwich and she sat down and she just devoured it and ate every single bite of that roast beef sandwich. And that was kind of a sign to us that something radically had changed, that she was literally set free from the inside. And all of, by the way, all of that was preparatory to us going to Canada. I wasn't in Canada pastoring for, for one week when a lady walks in that I did not know and she looks at me in the eye and she says, God told me that you could help me. She said, I'm demonized and he said, you'd know how to help me. Now guys, you gotta understand something. Southern Baptist kid, I grew up in a Southern Baptist home educated at a Baptist university, Baptist seminary. They did not have the class on demonization 101, none of that. And all of a sudden, as I'm living my life, I'm in this context where there's an outpouring of the Spirit of God. I then see my mother raised up out of a wheelchair. I see my wife delivered from demons. I'm thinking, wow, there's more to this thing. There is something very supernatural about the Christian life, and there's something that God wants me to be open to and to understand theologically. Because here's the thing. I experienced these things, and then I acquired a theology for those things. But then there are times where you can acquire the theology or the understanding of these things, and then God gives you the experience. It goes both ways. The important thing is for all of us to understand just how important and significant the person of the Holy Spirit is. So let me just give you 
quickly, if I can, three things in regard to the Holy Spirit. All of these are extremely important. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of the new covenant. You and I are a part of this incredible thing called the new covenant. Jesus called it the blood covenant. Basically, these things prophesied in the Old Testament, and by the way, they were prophesied by Jeremiah and Joel as well as Ezekiel. They all talked about this. Let me just read for you these verses out of Ezekiel chapter 36. God speaking, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you I will be, and you'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, it's important to understand what he's saying there. What he's saying is, if your heart is a physical stone, guess what? It won't pump. It's broken. He says, right now, spiritually, you're broken. You can't function unless you have the life power of blood going to the extremities of your body. Your, your physical body is going to drop dead. I mean, it can't work. He said, as a spiritual creature created in the image of God, he says, you do not work because of the presence of sin. Because you are sinful, he says, you are cut off from the life and the power of God. He said, so what I'm going to do, he says, I am going to give you a heart that works. He called it a heart of flesh. I'm going to do something inside of you that will enable you to experience a life other than your own Adam life, Adamic life. I'm going to give you the eternal life and all the power that comes with it. He said, I'll, in verse 27, he said, I'll put my spirit within you. That was novel, by the way, because in the Old Testament, the spirit came upon people. He did not go in people. He says, I'm gonna put it within you and bring it about that you'll walk in my statutes and are careful in, to follow my ordinances. So th the important thing to understand about the new covenant is that God now wants to live inside of his people. The same glory, the same glory that Moses saw whenever he saw the burning bush, and that was the glory of God manifested before him, the same glory that they saw when the presence of God fell on the tabernacle in the wilderness, later that same glory fell on the temple. That same glory was manifested whenever the uh, shepherds outside of Bethlehem, they saw the angels and the glory of the Lord shone around about them. That glory then came on the day of Pentecost whenever the fire of God was on top of their heads, but it didn't stay on top of their heads. What happened? The very presence and life and glory of God came inside of them. That's why the Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The very manifested presence of God now came inside of them, so you and I are now called the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have to understand how big this is. 
Do you realize that God is not contained by his creation? God lives outside of his creation. God is bigger than the universe. God is not within the dimension of how we live in the physical world. God is beyond that. He sees the end from the beginning. He's not constricted by time. He knows everything there is to know about you. That same God lives inside of you. You you have to get that revelation. That means it doesn't matter what touches you, it touches him. No matter what happens in your life, he's fully aware. He knows your life from the end, from the beginning. He knows the number of days that you're gonna live. He knows what he wants to do through you. That's why he says, you've got to trust me. And when you pray, may your will come on earth as it is in heaven, which means there is a divine will for everybody in this room to flesh out as long as you have breath. It's a new covenant. It's the best covenant. There's no other covenant. I mean, it's all ours. And the essence of it is that now God takes up residence inside of us. Second thing about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the sign of relationship with God. In other words, it is the Holy Spirit that indicates that you truly are born again and that you truly are a child of God. Whenever Peter preaches this incredible message on the day of Pentecost and all the folks who were listening, there were thousands, and as they were listening to what he was saying, they asked the question, what should we do? And this is his response. Peter said to them, verse 38, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. He said, if you'll do that, you will receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. What's that mean? The promise of the Father, the promise that was given to Jesus to give to his disciples before the day of Pentecost. He said, go wait in Jerusalem until what the Father promised comes. What was that? It was the coming of the Holy Spirit. So he says, that same promise is gonna be given to you, which is the Spirit. He said, it's for you, it's for your children, anyone who's far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, Paul talked about it again In this same manner, Romans chapter 8, verse 9, he says, look what it says. You're not in the flesh, but you're in the what? You're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you... Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit's alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells, what? In you. Do you see him saying this again? He dwells in you. He dwells in you. He dwells in you. I mean, he just keeps saying it over and over and over again. He says, because when he dwells in you, it is an indication that you're truly his kid. Having the presence of the Spirit is the sign of a person's relationship with God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You cannot be in relationship with God apart from the person of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit is the adequacy of God for life. 
He is the one that makes you adequate. Look what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting verse 4. He said, such is the confidence we have toward God through Christ, not that we are adequate in ourselves, so as to consider anything as having come from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, notice, the phrase new covenant, it's not of the letter, it's not of the law, but it's of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. He says our adequacy is from God and that adequacy comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. Other translations use the word competency. Another version uses the word sufficiency. But it's this whole thing of anything that you need in the Christian life is provided to you by the Holy Spirit. You cannot come to Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. He said it is the Holy Spirit that allows you to express his fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. You cannot operate in the gifts apart from the Holy Spirit. He is the one that guides you into all truth. He is the one that convicts you of sin. He is the one literally that gives you everything pertaining to life and godliness. He is the adequacy. He is the fulfillment of everything we need. That's why whenever members of the body of Christ resist the Holy Spirit, they literally are shutting the door to the place and the person of their adequacy, to their sufficiency, to their competency. That's why we can never, as Paul would say, don't ever quench the Holy Spirit. He would say, don't ever grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, you need to be open to the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, if I were preaching to a Baptist church, which I'm not, but if I were, I would say to them, don't stiff arm the Holy Spirit. Quit shutting the door, quit judging, because what happens in, in certain circles is they're afraid they're going to turn strange and weird. Well, if I'm open to the Spirit, I'm going to start looking like that guy over there and doing this weird, strange, crazy stuff. Well, maybe you need to be crazy a little bit. Maybe there needs to be something in your life that can only be explained in terms of a supernatural God working in your life. Guys, I want you to understand something. Life, spiritual life is not showing up to a building, listening to a great message, singing a few songs and going home and nothing else changes in your life. That is not what God intended. In fact, I believe that most of the body of Christ is under a curse, and that curse is we have recreated Old Testament temple worship. Because what we do is that we say, oh, come to the church and you'll experience God. Come to the church, come to the church. Well, I'm all about gathering, but let me tell you something. My God doesn't live in this building. He lives in me. He lives in you. We take him wherever we go, whatever we do, we now are not restricted to a time and a place and a form. But what happens is, by the way that we communicate, we almost give people the impression, man, you're not going to get God. You're not going to get Jesus. You're not going to get this, that, and the other. You got to get down to the church house. Let me tell you something. You, I mean, I love this church house. I Thank God for the building, right? I'm grateful for the building. But we are not bound by buildings.
He wants to be set free. I tell you what, whenever that veil got torn from the top to the bottom, that was God screaming from heaven saying, don't restrict me to a building. Wouldn't it be something to be able to carry the power of Jesus Christ into your workplace? Guys, I, do, I, I, I work in the workplace. Now, I, do, I, do a lot of, I wear a lot of hats, but one of my hats is I, I work with a consulting company, and I'm telling you, I work with lost people all day long. One of the ladies that I work, well, I won't go into this, but I, I, I won't say it, but there are people that I work with that are lost and need Jesus, and I have such an awesome opportunity to speak the life of God into these people. And when they're going through hard times, guess who they come and ask to pray? They always come to me. They're not believers. But when something goes south in their life, guess what? They want something to intervene for them. And so they, the only guy they know that's religious is me. So they come to me and they say, hey, would you pray for us? I say, sure. I'd love to pray for you. Look at this uh, graphic, because this graphic, well, wait a minute, before we get to the graphic, let's go to the John passage, John 14. Are y'all still okay with me? All right, John 14, I want you to look at this passage of scripture, starting in verse 10, he says, do you not believe that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me? Here's that thing again, in. The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. We're gonna come back to that verse in just a second. Believe that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, now this is important, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Before I keep going, did you catch that part? Whoever believes in me, he didn't say, okay, just the apostles. He said, whoever believes in me, he said, you're gonna have the power to do what I do. Even greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I'll do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Now, this, for, this, this little teaching that Jesus does in the upper room is important. Let's go back to verse 10. If we can get back to verse 10. Now, I want you to look. Look at this verse. It's really important. He says, do you not believe that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me? The words that I say, in other words, I'm speaking the words. They don't come from me. He says, I'm not speaking on my own authority. In other words, Jesus said, I'm not speaking what I made up in my head. I'm speaking something that I heard. He said, so the Father spoke to me, so I'm speaking this. Now, the rest of the verse should read, so it's the Father who dwells in me who is speaking his words. But it doesn't say that. He said, I'm gonna speak to you what I heard him. So when I speak to you, that's when the Father does his works. It's important. So whenever he begins to help us understand how do I practically live this thing called the supernatural life, it goes to these four things. Look at the graphic. You gotta hear, you gotta speak, you gotta do, and you gotta pray, those four things. So we have to learn how to hear God speaking to us. And let me just say a little bit of something about that. 
I have learned that God loves to speak to us in, in a language that we understand. In other words, he, he knows how you're wired. He knows your personality type. He knows how, how you function. And so he, he loves to speak to all of us in a way that we know it's him speaking to us. And the way he speaks isn't necessarily the same with everybody. So sometimes it's an impression, it's a leading, it's, a, it's an image, it's a picture. It can be any number of things, but we know it's him. A conviction. I know some people, they feel emotion. They feel an emotion, so they, they know it's the Lord speaking. Let, let me just share with you um, kind of a story that goes along with this. When I was transitioning from college to seminary, uh, I didn't have a job. I was running out of money. I only had about a hundred and something dollars, just barely over a hundred dollars in my bank account. And so I was looking, I was trying to get work before seminary started and um, I decided to go church shopping because I, I didn't have a church. So I'm, I'm going around visiting different churches and so this particular Sunday, I decide to visit South Cliff Baptist Church down in South Fort Worth. Don't know anybody, I'm, I'm by myself. So I get into the service and the pastor's there, but they have a visiting preacher there that morning. And he's there to talk about giving and generosity. And I'm thinking, Wow, of all the weeks to come to this church, number one, the pastor's not here, and number two, the guy preaching is preaching on money. And I was just put out. So he's up there because the church was in major debt, and so he was trying to get people to give to break the curse of debt off the church. And so I'm just sitting there listening, and in the middle of his sermon, this guy, his name was Jack Taylor. That's the name of the, past, of the preacher so Jack Taylor stops, and he's just looking at the crowd, and then he, he walks off the stage, and he talks to his wife, and then he comes back up on the stage, and he says, I'm sorry for that. He said, um, as I was preaching to you about all of this, he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, are you willing to do what you're telling them? And the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to give your car to the church. Now, he, the week before, he had bought a brand new Cadillac. Brand new. And so it just, it kind of messed him up. I mean, he's sitting there preaching, you know, we need to do this, that, and the other. And the Lord says, hey, will you do what, I, what you're telling them to do? So he wasn't just going to do it without talking to his wife. So he went down there and said, sweetie, I've got some really bad news, <laughs> you know. The Lord just told me to give our brand new car away. And she said, if the Lord told you, you better do it. So he takes the keys out of his pocket and he hands it to the pastor and he says, I need you to take these keys. He said, I'll get you the title later. He said, I want you to sell the car and I want you to put it on the debt of the church. When he did that, I could tell something was shifting in the room Guys, are you, are, Southern Baptist Church, okay, you, I mean, you, got, you, you, you can't forget the context. And then the Lord starts talking to me. 
And the Lord says, well, you do what he did. And I'm thinking, God, you don't want, I, I, I don't think they want my car. It's really old and it's in bad shape. <laughs> and he says, no. He says, will you do what I tell you to do? He said, and will you trust me? I said, so I'm just sitting there, you know, and I'm, I'm wondering what, what, what's going on here. And the Lord speaks to me and he says, I want you to take your checkbook and I want you to write out the check for everything that's in your bank account. Everything, every penny. And I thought, this has got to be Satan. This can't be Jesus, you know. I mean, seriously, I, I was struggling and the Lord said, trust me. He said, I wanna teach you that you can trust me. You can trust me, will you do this? And so I wrote the check, first time visitor, don't know a soul, it's not my debt. <laughs> I give the check and I walk out of the building, just shaking my head like what just happened. And somebody yells my name, Ron. I don't know anybody. And this older gentleman across the parking lot starts walking to me and I recognize him. He was a businessman from Ada, Oklahoma, from the church my father pastored. He was an oil man. And he walks up to me and we, we kind of talk and I said, what are you doing here? He goes, well, our church lost our pastors so I'm down here trying, I was gonna listen to the pastor to see if maybe we would ask him to come be our pastor. But he said, the, the guy had a visiting preacher I said, yeah, I know. I was kind of bummed too, you know? And he goes, but I need to tell you something. He said, this morning when I got up, I was spending some time in prayer and he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, there's a young man that I need you to give some money to. And he said, I didn't know. And so he said, I, I went to church, I sat by this guy, this young guy, and he looked like he really needed it. And the Lord said, no, that's not him. And so... He said, I, I, I came out, service is over, I'm walking to my car and I look across the parking lot and I said, and I saw you and the Lord spoke to me and said, that's the guy. And so he walked, he, you know, he's telling me this story and he pulls out $100 and he said, I don't know what the significance of this is, but he, and he gave it to me and he said, but the Lord spoke to me this morning and said, today you need this because he said, it's God wants you to know that he will always have your back. God wants you to know that no matter what he asks of you, you can trust him and that he'll take care of you and that he will always meet your need no matter what, as long as you listen to him and as long as you say yes to him. That was one of the most significant events in my personal life because as my wife and I went to Canada I needed that, that was a deposit of faith in me for some of the things that we were about to encounter. And throughout my entire life, I've never forgotten that experience. Now, what, what I'm trying to get you to understand is, my father would have never, we would have never seen my mom healed if my father had not heard, if my father had not spoken, if we had not obeyed and done exactly what the Lord told us to do. In that particular situation that I just shared with you, it would not have happened had Mr. Cantrell not listened, had he not spoken, and had he not done, I w it wouldn't have impacted me. 
if I had not listened and if I had not done what he had asked me to do. These things, listening, hearing, speaking, doing, and praying, they're all critical. And when I talk about praying, I'm talking about learning how to develop intimacy with the Father so that you can discern what his voice sounds like. It just doesn't happen overnight. Do a study on the prayer life of Jesus. I mean, it's amazing because Jesus, who's the Son of God, Jesus, who is without sin, had to spend incredible amounts of time with the Father. So he says, I can't do anything unless I hear him and this, that, and the other. It all came out of his intimacy with the Father. How much more do we need to have time with the Father? If you think that you're gonna be able to walk in the, in the power of God and hear God significantly and you only spend a couple of minutes of prayer a week, I just don't know that that's gonna happen much. If Jesus needed it, we need it. How many of you would like to walk in the power of Jesus? How many of you would like to see in your life what was in Jesus' life? Well, here's, here's the key. We will never live as Jesus lived unless we live as Jesus lived. If he needed to do it, we have to do it. So I can live like Jesus lived, but only if I live like Jesus lived. When I started taking teams into the nations, uh, we would go to third world countries. We ended up going to the nation of Nepal, which is above uh, India. And we would hike for several days into the Himalayas and we would do medical camps and pastor's conferences and evangelistic events. And then, and we, then we would have to trek out. And um, there's a picture, show them that first picture. This is me, you can tell I was a, a young strapping man <laughs> in this picture, but I am actually playing the keyboard there because I, um, I would take a keyboard with me and we would lead worship and all kinds of stuff and we, we carried that thing all over the world. That was our traveling keyboard. So um, when I got back to Kathmandu, Ilya Pradhan, who's the man that we worked with, and his son Benjamin, I was with them and the Lord spoke to me and says, you need to give them your keyboard. And I, I said, I said uh, Ilya, do you need a keyboard? And he goes, no, we, I don't need a key, keyboard. And I said, well, the Lord just told me to give you a keyboard. And he goes, well, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't need a keyboard. And I said, well, here's the keyboard. So I gave it to him. So we went on back to the States, and um, Ilya turns to his son, who's about 20 years old, named Benjamin, and he says, I need you to figure out how to work this thing. And he goes, well, I'm not musical. He said, I don't care. He's just, just sit down and try to figure it out. Just learn it. So Benjamin takes the keyboard, plugs it in, starts playing with all the dials, and all of a sudden, he starts playing music. He starts creating songs. He starts hearing lyrics in his mind, and so he starts putting on paper worship music. Benjamin discovers not only does he have a supernatural gift to play the piano or the keyboard, but he also has a supernatural ability to write music and to sing. He had incredible singing voice. He never knew it. What that did is that 
started him on this journey where he started writing the worship music for the entire nation of Nepal. Nobody had ever written worship music for, for Nepal. So he started writing all of this music. He started producing CDs with worship on it, started doing concerts. He put together a band, started doing concerts all over the nation of Nepal, went into auditoriums, filled them with all these young kids and teenagers, and hundreds and hundreds came to know Christ. It was an amazing thing. What would have happened had I not heard? What would have happened had I not given it to him? So I'm pastoring now with my wife. We're pastoring down in Euless, Texas, not far from here. And I hear from Ilya, hey, I'm coming to town. I said, great. So Ilya comes to town and uh, just to back up a little bit, two weeks before they showed up, I had a stewardess uh, flight attendant from American Airlines who was in my church and she walked up to me after church one day and she said, hey, I have a Yamaha keyboard and I wanna give it to you. And I, and I told her, I said, I don't need a keyboard, I have a keyboard. And she said, no, but the Lord told me to give you a keyboard. And I said, whatever. I said, okay, I'll, I'll take your keyboard. So I took the keyboard, put it in my office, and then Ilya says, I'm coming to town. So he and Benjamin come to town. They're telling me all about this incredible stuff going on in, with worship and music and all this kind of stuff. And they said, yeah, but the keyboard that we have is it's pretty messed up. Some of the keys are missing and some don't even do the sound anymore. And we've had to duct tape some stuff together. And it's just, but, but man, God's still faithful. And of course, you know what I'm thinking. I got it, Lord. <laughs> So I said, well, guess what? I think I got a keyboard for you. So that's Ilya. Do you see him? This is Ilya. I'm not, I mean, this is Benjamin. See that keyboard? That's the one that I gave him, the second one. So now, I'm telling you, they're famous all over Nepal because of the music that they produce. And it's just amazing to me how God works. What would have happened had that flight attendant not heard and not given, and had I not responded and passed it along, do you think God has the capacity to get his work done? Do you think he has the capacity to do whatever he wants to do in whatever way he wants to do it? Absolutely. But let me tell you something. What it's gonna take, it's gonna take all of us wanting to live this supernatural life, but do it in such a way, it's just normal. It's just normal. But there's a reason, there are reasons why we don't. I'm just gonna give you four reasons. I'm not gonna go into detail, but there's four reasons why we struggle living the natural, supernatural life. The first reason is simply ignorance. You don't know what you don't know. I didn't know. That's one. The second reason is embarrassment, or, or yes, no, the first, yeah, first is ignorance, the second is embarrassment, the third is disappointment, and then the fourth is fear. Embarrassment is basically whenever people are afraid that God's gonna do something that's gonna embarrass them, and so they don't wanna look like a fool. Because they start thinking, okay, if I say this and it doesn't come true, then I'm gonna look like an idiot. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying? Well, I think God told me something, but I'm not saying it because it's too, it's too strange, it's too different, it's too weird. 
And on that fear part, it's just simply wondering, okay, Lord, I'm afraid that if I do this, uh, something will happen that I don't have control over. Maybe I do something that's not actually you. It's just me. I just made it up, and I, don't, I think it's you, but it's not really you. Does anybody in the room ever feel that? The Lord said to me, he said, I'll fix all of this. I will take care of all of this. He said, if you'll just do one thing. And I learned this years and years ago. He said, if you let me own the result, he said, none of this stuff will make any difference to you. Let me own the result. When I was pastoring in California, God was moving in incredible ways. It, it was just a fascinating time in my life. And a woman came up to me after one of the services and she said, I can't tell you how much my life has been changed by coming here and just the things that God has done in my life. She said, next week I'm gonna bring my, my parents and my brother and my sister. And she said, none of them are Christians. And she said, so next week, you better have your A game on. <laughs> Seriously, that's what she said. She said, you better have your A game on, she says, because if you screw it up, I only get one chance of getting them to church. And she said, and I don't want you screwing it up. Now that'll, that'll encourage your, your day. So I said, thanks for that. I, I'll, I'll be praying about it. But I, I really, it really bothered me because, you know, it was this whole expectation thing. And so I took it to the Lord and the Lord gave me a verse. And that verse was John 15, five, where Jesus said, I am the vine and you're the branch. And he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Ron, he said, you're just a branch. You're just a branch. He said, if you have to take a, a little stick and put it in your pocket, to remind you that you're just a branch. He said, because everything that you need, I'm gonna give it to you. You can't do anything apart from me. And really what he was saying is, you let me own the result. You just be the channel. You just do what you think I'm telling you. You just respond in obedience to whatever I'm asking of you. And he says, you let me handle whatever the results are. You trust me. When I was praying for Oaks Church, there were two things that the Lord told me. He said, first of all, there's a lot of people in this church, and I know that's true because the first service, I had a lot of hands go up. There were a lot, there, he says, there's a lot of people in this church that are struggling with disappointment with God. Because in your life, you thought you heard God say something. You were convinced that God was leading you in a certain direction, and things just did not go the way that you thought they would go. And because of disappointment, it's like a wall went up between you and him, or at least in the supernatural part of you. So now it's like you can't hear him anymore. You love the word, you love to hear a good message, you don't mind singing praises, and you're gonna be a good moral person. But this whole thing of operating in the supernatural is just off limits because last time I tried that, it didn't go well. And so disappointment became a curse. 
And the Lord spoke to me and he says, you need to tell them that I want the people of Oaks Church to be a part of what he calls a sanctuary city for the Holy Spirit. That he wants this church to be a, a, a sanctuary, a place of protection where the Holy Spirit can be himself. He's not put off into a corner. He's not judged. He is not stiff-armed, but he now is welcomed to be himself, not just in the house, but wherever we go, whatever we do, we simply live the natural, supernatural life because all that he is is now, it has the freedom to be released through us. Do you wanna be a part of that? I want you to stand with me. amazing thing is that because God is, is speaking to us and God is in the house, let, let me ask you a question. How many of you would say to me, as, as you were sharing today, God began to do something in me. God began to put hunger in my heart that I could have some kind of experience like what you're talking about. I've heard other people's stories, but I want my own stories. I want to be able to say, this is what God did in me. This is what God did through me. And I knew that it was the power, His power operating in me. And so what wasn't hunger is now hunger. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, I, I, you, you made me hungry. God is making me hungry to, to do these things and to walk in these things. Guys, listen. When God speaks, you either embrace it, but when there is a rejection or a resistance to what God says, there is a natural hardening of the heart so that when God speaks something else, you're not gonna be able to receive it because you've decided to judge things and resist things. I want you to bow your heads with me. And I just want to ask you right now that if you're in this place today and you would say to me, I don't have any orientation to what you talked about today. I don't understand who the Spirit is. I don't seem to walk in that. I, 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 don't, I, I, I know it's true because it's in my Bible, but it just, it's just so foreign to me. And I want the Lord to release that in me. I want you to raise your hand. I just want to pray over you real quick. Father, I just ask you right now, every hand that's raised in this room, Holy Spirit, I just ask you to be released upon them. Lord, they don't have to come to the front in order to have an encounter with you. I just pray that you would begin to minister to each one individually because you know the times, the seasons, the giftings, the callings. You know what you have on these individuals. Lord, I pray that whatever reason, whether it's ignorance, whether it's fear, Lord, whether it's just them being disappointed, Lord, I pray, oh God, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would just begin to break off any and everything that would cause there to be a restriction between you and them. And Lord, for those in this house right now, 
that had a traumatic experience with you, where they needed you to come through, where they thought you spoke, where they stepped out of the boat and they, boat and they trusted you, and things didn't go the way that they thought they should go, and it brought such disappointment and pain and frustration and heartache to the point that there were judgments formed in their hearts that they're not even aware of. Father, I ask you right now to break off the power of those unrighteous judgments. And Lord, that you would open up hearts, that you would begin to make that heart of stone function again where their ears can hear again the voice of the Spirit. Lord, we know that we live in a pivotal time. We live in dark days. And more than anything else, Lord, if the thing at Asbury College tells us anything is that the entire planet wants to be in the presence of God. The world wants to know you. And the world is looking for people and places that are open to the reality of who you are. Lord, we just lay down everything that has become a curse, everything that has been a restriction, everything that has plugged up the well. Lord, I ask you right now that you would bring again the release of your power and the freshness of your anointing. And Lord, that you would do what, what no man can do because it, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Unless the Lord produces the fruit, all of our labor is nothing. So more than anything, we need you to be yourself. We need you to come and to release the fullness of who you are in us. And whatever part we've played to restrict that, Lord, we ask your forgiveness. And we surrender ourselves to you so that you can fully accomplish the will of heaven on earth, not only in this place, but in our lives as we leave this place and go to our families and go to our workplaces and go to the places of, of recreation and entertainment and wherever we go, Lord, help us to be able to hear you, to speak what you're saying, to do what you ask, and to pray with faith. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.